Welcome to episode 80 of the Brown and Black Podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. So Jack, you came to me and you said you wanted to do a top 10 of what we liked best film and TV so far this year. And I thought that was a great idea. I actually think you've definitely seen more than I have, but it really made me think about what my viewing habits are and yours. So in no particular order, <laughs> yeah. we have our top 10. Look, everybody's doing it, Mike. Everybody's, you know, every major outlet's doing the best films of 2022 so far, right? <laughs> and you're like, damn, man, it's so cliche. It's so predictable. But damn it, it's, its value is really in the curation of understanding what these outlets are perceiving as the best, has it been something that I've seen? Has it been something that I thought was corny but is highly regarded? Who knows? You know, there's the beginning of the year, which traditionally was like when they dumped everything. But that's changed a lot. The first first quarter of the year has really changed. A lot of hits come out still during the first quarter of the year, even though things have been a little changed because of COVID. But as we start to get to warmer weather in the second quarter, now we start seeing the, the, the bigger films. Now we're deep in summer. This is supposed to be like all the blockbusters, but it's usually the fall when we get like the the Oscar-worthy, you know, films. So I haven't been really blown away by too many things so far. There are things I liked, and I've seen a lot of stuff, but we're going to revisit this towards the end of the year, obviously, and I want to see how much of what we love came out when. So, Mike, why don't we begin with The Valet? Hey, look, GT. Actually, I prefer the Q4. Better turning radius. Have a nice day, sir. I can't do this. Goodbye, Vincent. Goodbye, Vin. Olivia, please don't go out front. There's paparazzi. You're being reckless. Call me when you're divorced. Are you all right? People I'm, are I'm looking. Sorry. I never thought I would get hit by a parked car. No, 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 no. Earhart opens in five days. I can't have this getting out there. What if we find the other guy in the photo and you pretend to be a couple? I'll do it. Olivia Allen is gonna go out with me? The famous actress? Yes. The beautiful one? Yes. With me? Correct. <laughs> My sister put you up to this. You got me. <laughs> so this is a movie that's now on Hulu and it stars Eugenio Derbez and he's following still this Latino, white, mainstream hybrid of movies that's really making him stand out. Instructions Not Included was his breakout hit 
what I really love about this film is that Eugenio Derbez more and more starts becoming a better actor. I mean, remember, he was in CODA. And I thought he was one of the best things in that film. Now he's bringing his solo skills to this and he's just getting better and better every single year. The heartbreak of this character, the humility of this character, the vulnerability and some of the socioeconomic structures that allow for this character to even you know, exist, those are some of the really contemporary things that I think that Valet really talks about. And I enjoyed it. I actually did an interview with the uh, executive producer, uh, Ben O'Dell, on the Highly Relevant Podcast. We did a deep dive on the Valet uh, and all the layers to it. I really, really enjoyed the Valet, man. You, you, you tear up towards the end. I would say this is one of those films that this year really captured well multicultural programming. You're right about Eugenio Derbez in that he anchors the film and it is largely his performance. And and I, I have to say, I, I've always felt that very often comedians are some of the best actors. You know, history has shown that with Oscars and awards they've won. Anybody who can make you laugh can really also move you. I, I think that what it has to say about class, what it has to say about uh, a number of things, all the things it addresses has to say about culture, things about family, uh, the blending of cultures, the clash of cultures, the cl clash of class, all of that, and still make you laugh and still have a fairly high concept Hollywood premise for a movie. I think that that's, that's a feat. This is a movie that makes you laugh and it makes you think and it makes you go, yeah, that's real. Coming back to this top 10 thing now, like I said, there are movies that I really enjoyed. And you said earlier, sometimes it may not be the best film ever, but one of the films that I really, really enjoyed, and part of it for me is going into movies often is uh, I found I end up liking a movie because I went in with really low expectations. And one of those <laughs> for me, no, I'm serious. One of those for me was Top Gun Maverick. Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. Let me be perfectly blunt. You are not my first choice. You are here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, AKA Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. What that is, I can't imagine. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. Just want to manage expectations. Why did you have low expectations about this film in particular? All right, I had low expectations because when was the last time you saw Top Gun? 36 years ago. <laughs> oh, exactly. And there's a reason why you never went back and watched it again. The thing about Top Gun is that it's very much a product of its time. It's sort of like Rocky Four, where it's very commercial. Mm. People didn't talk like that then. When you see it now, it's like watching a commercial. It's ridiculous dialogue. There's, there's this theme that they play in the movie. Because I, I ended up watching the original just before I went to see the new one, just because I hadn't seen it in 36 years. And, you know, there's this music, do, 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 and they play it like every time. Yeah, every every time he does something, he opens the door, he closes the door. It's like they play this music. I'm like, come on. Now, yeah, didn't they write anything more for the score? Anyway, it's just not a good movie. It, it was shot fantastically well. Tony Scott was a great visual director. He and his brother Ridley, you know, they come from commercials. They're visual artists, in my opinion. That's, that's why they made such iconic films. But Top Gun was just not really a good movie. At the time, it was also, 
you know, in that Reagan era, it was a commercial for joining the Navy. If you remember, recruitment went up when that movie came out. It was like, ridiculous, you know? Yeah, oh, man, it's, it, true. it's So true. for me, going into this, I was arguably, it made Tom Cruise, okay? It, it, it cemented him. So I went into it knowing, all right, say whatever you want about Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is always trying to do something quality. He's always trying to better himself. He's always trying to outdo himself. So I thought maybe this will be better than the original Top Gun because I just watched it. It's a piece of crap. Now, I was blown away. I was blown away within the first five minutes. Wow. The first five minutes of Maverick wow. is better than the entire other film. Okay. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. Okay. And I thought it was perfectly cast. I think Miles Teller playing essentially the son of Anthony Edwards, Goose's, Goose's son, son, was perfectly cast. Jennifer Connolly, well cast. There are a lot of things about this that work, but you know what? It was actually a movie. Now, is it fluff? Is it is it propaganda not not as much as the original it, you know it's generic bad guys doing generic bad things and, and our generic good guys got to get in there and stop them but it was a story and it was everything that a good sequel should be in that it's a continuation of the characters you've fallen in love with their lives like what happened not just more of the same but it continues. So for me, Top Gun deserved everything it got. And it's it's probably the high point of his career. He will never top this. <laughs> no pun intended. No, no pun intended. The success of Top Gun Maverick is the shocking thing to me here. You know, I have n I had not been in a movie theater that I had paid a ticket for in about two and a half years, maybe more. And I paid to go see this because the the buzz around this film was, I mean, it, it had reached like Marvel Universe buzz. It's already broken a billion dollars. Right. It's already broken a billion dollars worldwide. Already made over $500 million domestically and going. It's still one of the top films uh, this week. And it's 36 years later. You just put out a sequel 36 years later and it racked a billion dollars. Mike, there's something just like the physics of this just don't make any sense to me. So I had to go. And I got to tell you, the most fun theatrical experience, I feel like I was in a theme park ride, man. I feel like I paid a ticket to Disney. Absolutely. And there was this movie called Top Gun Maverick and you get in your seat and you're you're taking, it, it's almost like a video game. Like you're in the video game in these majestic, action-filled, tense, heroic missions where all you come out of that movie theater is saying, wow, I feel like my heart was racing, beating. I feel like I was in a ride. I, I think it's one of the things that Tom Cruise boasted about the most. He's like, I will not allow this film to be seen on a phone. This movie wasn't meant for a phone. This movie was meant for the giant big theater experience. And he waited, I think, almost like two years for this film to come out. And now we have it, and look what it did. So he was right. He knows his movies. He should own his own movie studio that he should act on. The dude's 60. He looks like he's 30. So everything about this film, Mike, is just one of the best movie experiences you can have in 2022. <laughs> 
through the valet, we've gone through Top Gun, we got uh, eight more films to go. So my next film, Mike, that I'm pretty pumped about is a television show on Showtime called Super Pumped, The Battle for Uber. I'm Travis Kalanick, and I will never back down from a fight. And if no one wants to believe in me, I'll make them believe by being undeniable. What's up, big bro? Heard the next Zuckerberg was in town. Figured I'd come say hi. When I look at you, I can see that you belong here. I'm I know who you are, Miss Huffington. Uh, Ariana. Benchmark's one of the top venture capital firms, and Bill Gurley is the shot caller. If I don't give you this funding, they're going to sell your company for parts. I'm going to take this thing the whole way with or without you. So this is based on the true story of Travis Kalanick. He was the CEO of Uber who was ousted, but this dude was defying like God himself. He thought he was Zeus or something of the tech uh, world. And, you know, he rose very far like Icarus and then got burned and just came down, man. Like, And so this television show captures the rise and fall of Travis Kalanick, and it's such a such a well done television show. Each episode, like there's a crescendo going on. I think it really gets going in episode three and four, but you got to wait it out at first because it has to set it up. These television shows like Super Pumped, We Crashed, you know, with Adam Newman and We Work and The Dropout with, you know, Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes, uh, which we'll talk about in a few they really talk about this corporate greed, you know, and I think in society, we've always talked about that the CEO is the villain of America. At least that's the way Bernie Sanders has always framed it. Corporate America, they're the evil, evil villains, you know, you got to watch out for them. And we get to see in detail how horrible these people are, how horrible they treat humans, how profit is everything, how profit is religion, Mike. And so it's haunting to see that type of horror that people can actually be like that. And I think that's part of the fantasy. I I consider these things, even though they're based on true stories, they're fantasies. Because in my head, I can't wrap around me actually ever working for someone like that or, or meaning anyone like that. So this is like a great documentation in scripted form of this manic person, which are like many, that have created havoc. In corporate America. Well, it's interesting. I've heard Joseph Gordon-Levitt is great in it. And I've heard that, yes, it takes a while to get going. And I've heard that, you know, it's the same writers as Billions. So it has that feel, you know, people talk in ways that people don't really talk. Oh, Brian Koppelman Brian wrote Koppelman it. And, who wrote and Billions. Who write, and, and his partner. But I also heard that the second season of this is going to be about Facebook. So I think that that's, that's, that's interesting because the dropout is also about you know, people essentially- The rise and fall of a CEO. All right, but people who are criminals, in my opinion, these people are doing criminal things. Fraudsters, con men and con women. criminals, okay? Let's just be real. These are criminals. And we're living it. We, all this, this, all that we're living now, this artificial inflation that we're living in now is all because of greed. It's not because of supply chain issues. You know, uh, I feel, what is it, Shell or one of the oil mobile, they just posted 18 billion in profits. Well, of course they are because they're raising everything at the pump. They don't have to, but they, they, we, they've paid off all our politicians. So I say all that to say it's interesting that we 
really enjoy watching bad guys be bad, which which kind of leads us into the dropout. The world works in certain ways until a new great idea comes along and changes everything. What if you could test your blood in your own home? And what if it wasn't a whole vial, but just a drop? I'm going to drop out of Stanford. This machine is going to change the world. These kids don't overthink. They don't get bogged down about the way things have always been done. They want to change things now. Together, we are making healthcare accessible to everyone in this country. I don't understand how you're doing this extremely complex chemical engineering with a high school degree. This technology is 10 years away. Your idea is impossible, so you just keep trying. Do or do not, there is no try. That's Yoda. Well, Mike, I'm not sure if you had a chance to see it, but The Dropout is another series from Hulu. I mean, you know, these guys are actually doing really well this year. Um, but it's about the rise and fall also of another CEO by the name of Elizabeth Holmes. I mean, Mike, this show is actually taking place in real time. I mean, Balwani, which was Elizabeth Holmes' uh, former boyfriend, how many, he got indicted for how many accounts? 12 counts of fraud. That's insane. And so this is a little bit different than Super Pumped because it's about conning people. Right, it's about lying to somebody in their face, and it's about Theranos, and it it promised this revolutionary healthcare through uh, just a a little bit of blood from your finger, as opposed to an injection in your arm, and the amount of blood that they take out. This thing was just supposed to break the skin just tiny in one droplet. Was gonna tell you if you had cancer, AIDS. all of this, and it promised a lot. It just never delivered because the invention or, or science just never caught up to it. And that was her whole argument. And here, what we see is how someone can 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 be, I guess, intertwined so badly with their ambition or their version of their ambitious self. It's almost like you see yourself as a as, as a mad king and you're like, what would it be like to rule Rome, you know? And I think she saw herself in that. And once she started getting the attention, the cover of the magazines uh, and, 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 you know, Katie Couric is like your, your, your next best friend. How do you say, how do you stop the lie? And I think that the dropout was really about how do you stop the lie before it gets to be too much. And and this is the effect we see in the dropout and the rise and fall of Elizabeth Holmes is as accurate as it gets. Well, what is interesting about that to me and what you're, you're telling me is, you know, there's a film coming out as well, directed by- No. Yes, is a film being directed by Adam McKay, starring Jennifer Lawrence as Elizabeth Holmes, which is fascinating because oh, this is such an like, interesting story that they, they've got to keep telling it, like you said. By the way, Mike, Amanda Seyfried's going to be nominated for an Emmy for Best Actress. Her performance there was indelible. It was memorable. It was pop culture conversation. So was the show. By the way, it was also based on a podcast from ABC News. And the whole cast was just fantastic. That whole show was, was absurdist in certain sense because none of this thing makes sense. How can people be like this? So there has to be a little bit of abstraction and surrealism. And I thought they played and interweaved it so, so well. 
Uh, I just think it's one of the better television shows I've seen all 2022. Well, I will tell you the top television show that still follows that theme of following people doing bad things and are people really like this uh, is The Offer. Listen here, Bob. Paramount is going to come crashing down. We need hits. You've read The Godfather, right? Godfather. Sure. Who hasn't? We've been all over town. No one wants to make this movie. So I need you to produce it. Get going. I can't believe you told me you read it. You better read fast on the plane. Oh, yeah. That's big. The Godfather is bringing us too many problems. You want me to take care of it? Gangster movies are dead. This is not just some gangster film. We need someone who understands Italians. Lance is Ford Coppola. He's got a great vision. We have to put this in the picture. A scene about gangsters arguing over sauce? No. A scene about family arguing over sauce. Now, the offer tells the story of how The Godfather got made, and it tells it from three perspectives. We see how Robert Evans, who was at that time running Paramount, what he had to deal with from the people above him, the people beneath him, and all that was going on in Hollywood at that time, and all that was going on in Evans' life. And it's a fantastic performance by Matthew Good. Then we also see Albert Ruddy, who was the producer of the Godfather, the guy who created Hogan's Heroes, is now going to be doing a gangster film. What? The Godfather was, at that time, a bestseller. Mario Puzo was riding high, and he was someone who had been toiling for years and never had a hit. So all these things. So we get to meet Mario Puzo. We get to meet a young Francis Ford Coppola. We get to meet Albert Ruddy. And at the same time, we get to see everything that was happening with the actual can we say mafia? <laughs> of course you can. <laughs> because, all right, we get to see what was going on with the actual mafia. Because let's face it, and this is something I could relate to, and I'm sure you could relate to. Uh, Italian Americans were not loving the potential of another movie that would portray them in this cartoonish way that they had been portrayed for so many years. You know, it's hot. Oh, it the 1920s and the 1930s. I mean, you know, so many, I think every movie, Bogart made a career out of it. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So I understand that, you know, it's for me, I was reminded that part of the series, just the, the how the Italians felt. Now, let's face it, the Italians were racist too, but how they felt about how they were being portrayed how they were organizing to try and change that, how they wouldn't get behind it unless it was going to be not what had come before. So those three stories are all going on at the same time. I thought it was terrific, terrific cast. It's riveting. And then it's the best setup in the world to watch The Godfather, which I did. And as of this taping, James Kahn has just passed. So we have to acknowledge him because he's great in The Godfather. Yes. And there's just so many great things. I, I haven't gone back and watched Godfather 2 and Godfather 3, but I want to now. So, and I have to give you props because you were like, Mike, why aren't you watching The Offer? And I was like, eh, and you were like, Mike, the offer. I just watched everything. I watched, I binged the entire thing. I was like, come yeah, on, man. So 10 episodes. You, I owe it to you. I, I will buy you a drink for making me watch the offer. <laughs> Chianti. <laughs> uh, yeah, this, so this is a show on Paramount Plus. Um, I was reviewing it for Neil Rosen show, actually. And it's 10 episodes. 
And I thought that the best thing of that series was Matthew Good's performance of Robert Evans, which I think will be nominated as Best Supporting Actor. And I hope they do a sequel with him, like with Chinatown or you know anything to that effect. But they must continue this. They, they must build this universe. But this, it revived my interest for it because I had never really heard or seen the behind-the-scenes chaos um, that it took to actually get this movie done. I mean, I was constantly Googling, did this really happen? Did this really happen? And I was fascinated with Paramount Studios and at that time was creating hit after hit and how The Godfather saved the studio. This whole series to me was like a masterclass on how to be a producer of a film. It's really about putting out fires. And I just, Mike, Everything about this show was fantastic. It was entertaining. It was informative. And it really made me appreciate The Godfather in a way. I saw it right afterwards. All I want to do is, 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 is see this new pre-production, I think, the, of Francis Ford Coppola. You were telling me about it. Oscar Isaac is playing Francis Ford Coppola. And who's the other that's playing Jake the other character? Gyllenhaal is playing, is playing Robert, Robert Evans. Evans. Okay, and Elle <laughs> Fanning is playing Ali McGraw. And I hope that Paramount Plus creates a whole universe like this of maybe even taking some other classic films and giving it the offer treatment because it really works and I think we're going to see a lot of that hype um, with the within the Emmy nominations hopefully coming out in the next couple of months. Absolutely. And that film just so you can keep your eye out for it, is called Francis and the Godfather. And one of the best things I've seen this year, Mike, is American Dream, George Carlin. Would you all meet George Carlin? Hey, baby, what's that? We got assholes, scumbags, jerk-offs, and dipshits, and they all vote. He was funny, he was smart, he was opinionated. I want it to be just like him. He was just so cool. Here's the list of words you can't say all the time. Chip piss fuck cunt cocksucker motherfucker and tits. And the crowd goes crazy. Chip piss fuck cunt cocksucker motherfucker and tits. They arrested me for profanity. The Supreme Court restricts the broadcast of dirty words. I'm gonna jump to it right now. He's the Beatles of comedy. I began this dream of standing in front of people and having their attention. My mother was his biggest champion. She just had a way of lifting people up and believing in them. They were comrades in arms. But then what happened was superstardom. My mom was alone all the time. She's feeling left behind. And now the drugs are there. And that really did undermine everything in our family. I did as much cocaine as there was in the immediate three-county area at that time. <laughs> he had collapsed in on himself. My career began to wane. I had to find my voice. In 1988, we were going to go do the show to laugh at him because he was this older comic and Carlin came out with like a howitzer. Now they're thinking about banning toy guns and they're going to keep the fucking real ones! He didn't want to be that George Carlin anymore. He wanted to be a different George Carlin. What I really was, was a rebel. Can't educate our young people, can't get health care to our old people, but we can bomb the shit out of your country, all right? Stand-up's the hardest thing. He did the hardest thing for the longest time. He was challenging society to be better. Life is sacred? Who said so? God? Hey, if you read history, you realize that God is one of the leading causes of death. 
George is still relevant. He changed comedy three or four times, and he's still talking to us. Things that he was getting at were so profound to the culture. What would you do if you were the planet trying to defend against this pesky species? Hmm, viruses. They try to divide people so that they can run off with all the fucking money. Bullshit is the glue that binds us as a nation. It's the American dream, because you have to be asleep to believe it. So this is a documentary directed by Judd Apatow. It's on HBO Max, and it's the life and work of the legendary stand-up comic who we see constantly evolving with the times and how he stayed sharp to create this great persona and character uh, that we all fell in love with up until his death in 2008 and what he means to the comedy industry, what he means to society, and and to kind of like really see through his eyes what the American dream is. One of the things that I think I most like about this documentary is how contemporary it is. Jokes from like 20 years ago, Mike, seem like they were meant for today. He is so prescient in his stand-up comedy that you almost feel like this dude is, is, is like the living Nostradamus. You've always said this, and, and I agree with you 100%. The dude stopped being a comedian a long time ago, and he became what you call a culture critic. These comics who kind of go beyond the jokes, and the jokes really become our real lives, but broken down in a way that seems so absurd that it's happening, and that we're accepting it, that it's funny. It's almost like unintentionally funny. And so he's become a master at that. To me, blown Lenny Bruce out of the water, and he has become to me the the, the de facto modern uh, greatest living legend comedian of, of our generation. Absolutely. Well, I, I grew up on on George Carlin. You know, my 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 dad had the records, and I would sneak and listen to them. So I I knew all of his routines, like those two Grammy winning albums, Class Clown and Occupation Fool. I I knew those albums inside and out. You know, and and it was you know I was way too young to have to be listening to them, but to me it was like, oh, you know, he's cursing and and so I have always loved George Carlin, and the best thing about watching the documentary to to me really was that transformation of seeing him because he's, you know, he dealt with things in life. He grew as a, he he is the epitome of of an artist who who evolved. And his art evolved. And I like to say that as you define your art, your art defines you. And I think he's the epitome of that, where, where you know, a comedian's job is to, to look at life, to look at what we do as humans, as a culture, as a society, and, and point out things to us, to, to make us aware of things, sometimes often to make us laugh at ourselves. But one of the reasons why comedy is so relevant these days is because life is so shitty. I think the reason all of these late night hosts, which are still largely white males, uh, are so popular, why comedy and, and Saturday Night Live become super relevant in, in the last few years, like all these things, these aspects of what comedy is have really come into play during the worst of times. And I think George Carlin not only epitomizes what a comedian is, but he was like, he's like the Nostradamus of comedy, George Carlin.
One of the other surprise films that I ended up actually liking quite a bit was Father of the Bride. Sophie? She's not here yet. Fathers play a big role in their daughter's life. It's a special bond that only they share. Hello! And even when she's all grown up, she's still daddy's little girl. Dad? I have something to say. I'm engaged! Wow. <laughs> And I propose. Wow. You propose? Okay. You propose? Yes. You propose to him. Mm-hmm. He didn't propose to you. Mm-hmm. Can you do that? Does anyone do that? Now, this is a new version of Father of the Bride. It's actually the third version of Father of the Bride to come out. And the first one came out in 1950 with Spencer Tracy, then in 1991 with Steve Martin. But this one really is, and interestingly enough, here's another comedy that has been, let's just say, would you call it Latino-fied? Like, what would you call that? Where, yeah, where this take is, yeah something, that's a good <laughs> <laughs> Latino-fied. So they Latino-fied it and made it much more relevant. Two episodes ago, we did a deep dive on Father of the Bride. We talked about all the reasons why we like it, but it definitely stayed on my list. So the next film I wanted to talk about was another film that took me by surprise, and that's a film called Rise. They said I didn't belong. That it was impossible. Look out! Jammed by the rookie! That we'd never make it. It is a very special night for the Atanacupo family. That we couldn't have an impact. But when we're together, we couldn't lose. Do you hoop? Now, I was not familiar with Rise or uh, the basketball player Antenacopo. In this video, we're going to try and clear up some of the confusion about how to pronounce Yanis's name. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Antetokounmpo. Is that a good What? I'm trying. No, well, listen, he plays for the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, he just won the NBA championship uh, last year. The Golden State Warriors won it this year. They were eliminated by the Boston Celtics. It was a game seven. I'm a big fan of, of Giannis. I had no idea of his story. I did not know that he was a Nigerian, uh, a Nigerian Greek uh, native and that his... His family had come as immigrants to Greece to live, and they had all kinds of issues. And I was fascinated by his story, specifically the story of his father, what his father, what his parents went through. And I, and I think the film is a love letter to his father because Giannis is a producer on the film. And though the film is about him, we really spend a lot of time with the father, understanding what he went through and how difficult it is to be an immigrant in a country that doesn't want you which I think is the case for many brown people on this planet. And it's a powerful story, but then it's even more powerful to know that all three of his brothers also became superstars. I mean, he didn't even know what basketball was till he was 15, 16 years old. It's an amazing story. I highly, highly recommend this film. I've debated about this one, Mike, for a while, but I just finished seeing Stranger Things season four, and it might be, to me, one of the top candidates for best television series dear billy i don't know if you can even hear this (laughs) 
Ever since you left, everything's been a total disaster. For a while, we tried to be happy. Normal. I know that's impossible. you guys far from Hawkins because I thought you'd be safe a war is coming I'm afraid your friends at Hawkins are very much in the eye of the storm I don't have my powers to say this other than just to say it without you we can't win this war but stranger things this this particular science fiction season um was an interesting one because i think it now holds the record for the most streamed uh series in history this season four the first set was seven episodes the second set was just two episodes and the finale was two and a half hours long, Mike. Yet, no one gave two hoots that it was that long. These were episodes, man, that were breaking an hour. Each episode looked like it, like they spent $100 million on every episode, man. All the scenes were amazing. A lot of people criticized it for maybe being... You know, the produ- the production value was maybe too high, but the story at the end of the day was great. I love seeing these kids back together again, but this time the Duffer brothers wrote and directed it, and these dudes are no joke directing. They're like the Russo brothers, man. They could direct the next Marvel movie. I'm just letting you know right now. They could be the next directors of Doctor Strange and, 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 and maybe even the Avengers if they decide to do it back. These guys are the real deal, man. My wife and I were like, the production value of this is out of hand. I don't know how much money they spent on this, but you can see it. The adventure that this takes you through makes it to me one of the best television experiences of the year. Wow, that's that's a rave. Well, the Duffer Brothers are are well on their way because they're they're doing Stephen King. They're about to adapt Stephen King into a miniseries. They're about to take the anime Death Note into a TV series. I have yet to see anything but the first three episodes of the first season of Stranger Things, so I can't really speak. Oh on my it. goodness! Uh, you know, oh my goodness! I haven't, so you know, I have to. <laughs> we'll have to binge, and by the end of the year, I'll come back to you with my Stranger Notes on Stranger Things. All right, perfect. So as we cap this top ten list without any particular order, Mike, what are we finishing it off on? You saw a movie that I have not seen. Why don't we leave it with that? This is a movie. This is a documentary. Also, it's uh, one of the probably one of the most disturbing documentaries I've ever seen. It's called Our Father. Growing up, I felt different. I was 35 and I take a DNA test. When I opened up Ancestry, I had over 3,000 hints. All of these random names were popping up and it said close family. We all matched the name Klein. Dr. Klein was the best infertility doctor in Indianapolis. Right then, I knew Klein was our biological father. 
So that's when strange things started happening. I think it was some sick experiment for him. Most of us have blonde hair, blue eyes. It was almost like this perfect Aryan clan. It's disgusting. How the fuck did no one know? For decades. I had to tell my husband. We're just now finding out that Julie is not yours. I reached out to every news outlet, big and small. This was a person of a position of power. He's known in our community as a philanthropist. He's an elder of the church. And the attorney general's office. I don't deny that it was a sexual violation. But legally, there's just no crime that touches this particular act. Now, our father, if you've heard anything about this documentary, the documentary itself, it's not the most well-made documentary in the world. But the subject is fascinating. It's about a fertility doctor who had dozens and dozens and hundreds literally of patients. But one of the children that had a mom who went to this doctor to help her get pregnant, decided to do a DNA test and found out she had multiple siblings, multiple half brothers and sisters. At this point, it turns out there have at least 93. Okay. So it turns out this guy never, he was just literally going in another room, jacking off, putting in a thing and injecting into these women and had all these, it's, it's horrifying. It's disturbing. And then the kicker is that the people are still like popping up on 23andMe and Ancestry.com, finding out that they're related to each other. And it's like they're a whole like support group for each other. But one of the most disturbing things is that he's not the only fertility doctor to have done this. So it's a eye-opening documentary. It's called Our Father. It's, uh, it's streaming now. It's on Netflix and it's, you'll never forget it. Well, and that's it for this episode of Brown and Black. I hope you guys liked our top 10 list. If you'd like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. This episode was edited by Joshua Tirado. You can follow our comments and opinions on at Brown Black Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We'll see you on the next episode of Brown and Black. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.